Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Marius Norheim, the CEO of TradeMate Sports. Marius, thank you very much for coming on. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you're looking to find your edge in sports betting or racing, you'll need to visit the Betfair Hub. From analysis to betting psychology, it has everything that you need. Simply visit betfair.com.au slash hub. Today I'm joined by Marius Norheim, the CEO of TradeMate Sports. Marius, thank you very much for coming on. Hi Jake, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to this, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's exciting. I want to I want to hear about the betting culture, where you're from, and I'm not sure if you've been in, in Norway most or all of your life, but you know I I've grown up in Australia. I, I live in the US now. I've spent time living in Europe and a few other places around the world, but not in Norway. So tell me about the culture there when it comes to sports betting and betting in general? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start out sort of with the, the overview stuff and then dig a bit into like what people do. Um, because Norway is quite a funny country because we have a monopoly uh, for gambling. So really the only bookmaker that's allowed to do like marketing and technically the only bookmaker that is allowed is called Norsk Tipping. Uh, so that's like a government-run bookie. Um, but at the same time, the restrictions and everything are all on the bookmakers and how they are able to market themselves towards customers. So me as a Norwegian private person, I'm able to use pretty much every single bookmaker in the entire world. So it's both the strictest and uh, the least strict at the same time. So I, I find it a bit funny. Um, so yeah, and the, the, the also thing about Norse Tipping, uh, the bookie, is that they have some of the worst odds in the entire world. They have like a 15% margin on average, so it's just absolutely crazy. Wow, so do, do most people in or you, in your circles use Norse Tipping at all, or is it just something that's just not viable to use if you're trying to make a profit or win at sports betting, or at least try and get better odds? It's just not something you entertain whatsoever. I mean, it, it is pretty large. And you are also able to like go to the stores and bet with them there. Uh, so that's definitely like an advantage that they have. I would say that my friends who do a bit more betting, they're all using like foreign online bookmakers, uh, like Nordic Bet, Cool Bet, Unibet, those sorts of bookies are, are pretty big here. And they're uh, doing a lot of TV commercials on Norwegian TV, uh, just that the stations are based in London. So that way they avoid the whole uh, marketing loss. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it is pretty common to use like the big online bookies, um, here too. And, uh, and yeah, I, I guess when I started out betting when I was, I don't know, like 10 years old with my dad, then we were using Norse tipping. But as soon as I really started getting into it and realized how important it is to get good odds when you're betting, uh, then I'm not used Norse tipping as much as, uh, as when I was a kid. So is is that what is typical in Norway? Because certainly growing up in Australia, and you know, we in in Melbourne had a had a holiday for a horse race called the Melbourne Cup, which is pretty famous around the world in horse racing circles. And and having a, a two dollar bet on a horse race or on a sporting event is very typical and common. And I think some of the 
the numbers on per capita gambling around the world. Australia is always in the top one or two. And, you know, similar to the UK, where there's a lot of discussion around betting and sports and sponsorship and advertising during games, is, is Norway in that vein or is it a little bit more sheltered and protected when it comes to gambling? I would overall say it's definitely much more sheltered. And, I mean, if you watch a football game or something on telly in England, then it's just going to be betting commercials like throughout the entire commercial break. Uh, while in Norway, you still you don't have it like at that level. And uh, and overall, like if I'm just watching a game with some friends of mine, uh, not everyone would like have bets on the game or stuff like that. While I feel when I've been in England, like people usually have a bet on the game. So tell me a bit more about your background and, you know, I want to talk a bit about TradeMate Sports as well, but just you as a person growing up and getting into the industry, was it a normal progression? Was it based on poker? Was it based on sports fandom? Was it based on betting? What were some of the things that stand out for you? Yeah, so I, I think the foundation for me was poker um, because I, I played some poker when I was in high school and that's sort of how I got into the whole expected value and looking into the statistics and stuff because uh, those parts have always fascinated me and I'm always about winning in whatever I'm doing and when I do stuff where it's possible to make money I want to make money I don't just do like betting or poker for fun I want to profit from it um, so me and a friend of mine we started out doing poker together and we deposited like ten dollars uh, into the poker site and we ended up taking out I think it was $600 each. Uh, so not high rollers, but uh, definitely had some, some good fun growth from that. And that's sort of how I got like the underlying statistical understanding of, uh, of expected value and the difference between uh, luck and uh, randomness and also looking towards the long term. Uh, so I think that's like uh, one of the biggest like lessons I've, I've taken from it is, is always looking at what is plus EV in the long run and that's something that I'm also applying like a principle I'm applying like throughout my life um, and after after that I, I went to the military then I studied at the university in, in Trondheim which is like the major science university in Norway so I started out doing like a combination of economics and engineering there um, eventually I moved over to an entrepreneurship program where I did my master's degree and it's a very action-oriented uh, program uh, so all of the students try to actually start startups while they are still in their studies and that's how I met Martin who started TradeMate uh, where I'm currently working um, so Martin is a very very talented developer and he had a childhood friend named Jonas Yelstad and Jonas um, he quit high school and moved to Thailand with a bunch of other Norwegian poker professionals and started uh, playing poker professionally and he also eventually realized that he could make far more money doing sports betting than doing poker. Um, so Martin and Jonas they grew up together and once they were at like a, a cabin trip uh, up in the Norwegian mountains um, Martin realized that hey it should be totally possible to like automate uh, some of the stuff that Jonas was doing, and that's sort of how TradeMate was born. Um, so while I was while I was studying, me and Martin, we worked together on a different startup, uh, which was in the edtech space. And while we were working on that, we would take breaks and then go betting with TradeMates 
at the bookies. And then we like spend 10, 15 minutes doing that. Then we go work for another hour. Then we take another 10, 15 minutes betting and then go back to work again. And uh, so that's sort of how I, I got into a bit more of the serious betting and actually yeah, trying to make, make money from it. Sounds like we could make a mini series about that background and story and uh, some Thailand beaches, some poker playing around the world, probably or online, some some betting in between doing a master's program in, in Tron time and so on and so forth. It's a very interesting backdrop to getting to where you got to now. I, just a, a general question. You mentioned before that you try and apply plus EV in life. Take us through how that works. I know that you know I've had discussions with my friends about that and, and sometimes it's people apply it in different ways, but just tell me how you try and take that principle that is you know obviously based in, in mathematics and can be used in betting, but how it works in general life for you? Uh, well, that's a good question <laughs> uh, to try and think of like an example of it. While you're thinking, I just, I remember talking to someone recently about it and it's funny because you make everything such a, you want to find a tiny edge in everything you do, whether it's when you wake up in the morning and you know the bus leaves at 7 a.m. So you have to get up at a certain time to fit in everything you need to fit in and and even it's like, all right, should I go and get a coffee from the coffee shop? Should I get one at the office? Should I uh, make one at home? How long will that take? All these different things that you're calculating in your mind, just like we do in betting and probably poker and, and a lot of other things. It can, it can make you very regimented and stiff, but it also in the long run can make you a, um, I guess, a more functional, functioning person as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm the sort of person that's always looking for a discount at like the supermarket because uh, that enables me to save a bit of money here. I also uh, do what's it called, like bulk food prepping. Uh, so I have like, uh, I buy all of my food in uh, on like a Saturday and then I cook it on a Sunday. Um, so I just make dinner and lunch for like the next two weeks and put it all in plastic boxes and then... Uh, put it in my freezer and, and take it up. So that's a good way for me to like save money and also to um, and also to uh, have a good control of what I'm eating. Uh, so that's sort of one of the areas that I like try to to optimize. And so that's sort of every every single area of life. I'm I'm trying to find those yeah small edges that that just makes it better and that increases like the overall output that I'm able to, to get from the activity, whether it's like eating or my workouts or betting or poker or whatever. Yeah, it makes sense. Just optimizing things, you know, different efficiencies and economies of scale or whatever else it might be obviously makes a difference. And with TradeMate, tell us a little bit about TradeMate and how it's put together and I guess generally how it started and how it's evolved. Uh, yeah, sure. So TradeMate Sports is a value betting service. So essentially, we are looking for inefficiencies in the odds markets. And I guess the, the simple version of explaining it is that we are looking for, for price differences. So there was this cup game a couple of years ago between Chelsea and Manchester City in the FA Cup. And this is like the example we like to use because it's, it's very clear. Um, so... Before the game started, um, news got out that um, Manchester City were playing with five teenage debutants in their lineup. And at the time that that news um, came into the market, Norsk Tipping, uh, they had their odds at 1.8 for a Chelsea victory. 
and we use decimal odds, so I'm not sure what that is in American, but at least it's 1.8 in, in decimal odds. Uh, and when the news that the uh, Manchester City team was starting with all the, all the kids, uh, the odds on Chelsea to win dropped from like 1.8 to 1.4 in the entire rest of the market, while North Tipping were still stuck at 1.8 for 20 minutes, and then they dropped it down to like 1.5 uh, after the 20 minutes, but then the market kept on dropping, so it's down to like, I don't know, 1.37 or something. And eventually, 20 minutes after that again, they dropped all the way down uh, to that level. So those 40 minutes where they were just open, where they were offering an odds which was just a ridiculous outlier compared to the rest of the market, those are the sort of edges that we are looking for in the market and finding. So we built a software which does all of that automatically. And so it's pretty easy for the user. We show them today this this edge on Chelsea. It's at 1.8 in odds. You go to this bookmaker to place it. And we also calculate the stake size that uh, they are using based on the Kelly criterion. And uh, and uh, yeah, which also takes into consideration how much money they have in their total bankroll. Bless the the government bookies. Sometimes it's not a, not always a bad thing. No, so I mean, one of the good things is that they do not limit winning players, uh, so that is quite nice. And even though they have like extremely high margins, they sometimes still make mistakes, which are so terrible that uh, huge edges occur. Um, I have to give them some credit because they have gotten a bit better over the years, but it still happens that they just have amazing blunders and uh, not paying attention to what's happening in the market. <laughs> so has has that changed? Like that example you mentioned from when you were starting out, was that still a 20 minute gap compared to today or has it changed from 20 minutes to three minutes and you just have to be quicker or use automation or other things? Or how is the how has the market evolved over the years? Yeah, so it's definitely quicker. Like, you don't see those sort of edges happening as often as they used to, um, especially like at the Norwegian Golden Bookie. But it's like overall in the market, we have not seen much change over the five years that we've been doing this. I mean, maybe the bookmakers have gotten a bit smarter with regards to limitations, but uh, like now they probably have some machine learning techniques or something trying to figure out which players are profitable and which are not. Um, but at the same time, like you, you're still able to get in uh, plenty of bets before limitations. So it's still like usually you have a couple of minutes to place the edge before it's gone. Uh, so there's still plenty of opportunities uh, even today. How have you found converting regular everyday sports bettors and punters who might do accumulators and parlays and everything else and getting them to switch over to do something like value betting or if they want to, you know, in that example you mentioned, try and bet both sides and bet 1.8 and they might be able to get, you know, 2.6 somewhere else on the other side or, or whatever it might be. Is that an easy conversion or how long does that take to try and educate people in this world that you're working within? And is it something that you've found easy enough to do or is it someone might just say, look, I like doing my parlays and accumulators and 10 bucks to win a thousand. And even though I don't win very often, it's more exciting and enticing than system, you know, systematic regimented betting that you know will be plus EV long term. Yeah, so that is extremely difficult. And I think that's sort of one of the advantages that or that's that's where I got used from like playing poker in my early days. 
And because when I met Martin, like I remember him telling us about TradeMate and everyone was like super skeptical. Um, and I, like myself, was a bit skeptical how huh? you can make money doing sports betting. Uh, that sounds extremely good. Uh, but when he like explained the details and said, you know, we're, we're measuring the EV of it and seeing whether the trades that we make are plus EV, comparing that to like the actual results and then seeing that over extremely large sample sizes of data, then it became pretty clear to me that this is something that is working. So I tried starting uh, with it myself and I think I, in total I made around like $8,000, something like that from, from TradeMate. So um, yeah, um, definitely. Definitely good, and uh, and then back to uh, back to the, the question, which was uh, convincing people. So yeah, no, it, it's not very easy, and I think it is actually better to find someone who doesn't know too much about betting from before. Maybe someone who has a background from poker or statistics or uh, like a higher degree in, in some sort of uh, of university studies where they did a bit of math. Because I think those have a bit easier of like grasping the underlying fundamentals of why it is working uh, than just uh, the regular guy at the pub. So the tool that we built, especially like we're, we're pretty high priced. We started like 120 euros a month. Uh, so we've tried to build a tool towards the people who are serious about making money and the guys who just want to place a couple of bets on the weekends. And uh, that's not this is not the tool for them. And then they should, I don't know, follow a, a tipster or something like that, even though those don't work. So from your education in, in engineering and applying that to betting and betting markets, do you remember the first time you, you thought about, okay, I can use some of these tools and techniques that I know about to increase my productivity, whether it's automation, whether it's you know different software or technology that might be pretty rudimentary and basic, but have a big impact and as you've you know gone throughout the years you can add on top of that is that really really valuable do you think from your perspective so i think part of what i have sort of applied the most from my studies because my technical background is as a mechanical engineer but sort of my study was always a combination of econ and engineering so i was never going to be like the the mechanical engineer out there fixing the motors uh, I remember we had a, a school project where we were building a bicycle and it consisted of two parts, like building the bicycle and writing the report about building the bicycle. And I ended up being the guy who was in charge of the report and then the other guys were welding and everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so sort of what I've learned from mechanical engineering and supply chain management, which one of like the, the specializations within it is to uh, look at the process and identifying improvement areas. Like you want to figure out where the bottleneck is, you want to figure out the throughput time through the entire system and how you can change the process around, which parts you can cut out, eliminate waste in order to make the overall process more efficient. And that is sort of like a methodology that I'm applying to whether it's my workouts again or whether it's the way I'm eating or the way we go about like doing the marketing work at TradeMates, that's sort of like the, the underlying method that, that I'm applying. So that I found to be extremely useful. So in this day and age, a lot of people will be able to either look at odds comparison websites or scrape that data in themselves and, and use it for 
whatever they're trying to do. From your perspective, what's the most important use of automation in your world? I think first and foremost, you uh, you need to figure out whether you have an edge, because if you don't have an edge, there's not much point in in automating things uh, in the first place. Um, but once you sort of figure out that you do have an edge, then you can start looking into automation. And then uh, it depends a bit on like what your goal is. If you want to um, if you want to sort of exploit the soft cookies, then there's not really a, a good way to uh, to do that without sort of breaking the rules, which is not something I would recommend doing because then they can take them take your money. Um, but there are other options where you can do automation. There's like betting brokerages and stuff like that, and they all have like an API, so then you can sort of connect to them and uh, and get started. So for those who don't use much technology in their betting and might be you know, less inclined to using different programs or bots or automation. What's one example? Like, can you uh, identify your edge using a lot of automated techniques and then even have a, an automated betting program? Are those types of things that you see now or into the future as, as becoming more normalized and useful for those betting more seriously? I think that there are some fundamental things that we have to change in the industry before that becomes like normal. Um, because right now there's just so many limitations on like the big European bookies in terms of they, they're only looking to have customers who don't win money and they want to exclude all of the winning players. And I think it's typically the winning players who would be interested in doing automation. So I think it requires them to change the business model and towards accepting all players really and offering them like minimum bets that they have to accept, stuff like that in order for automation to, to really take off. Uh, either that or something like uh, blockchain could come and uh, disrupt the whole thing, even though I'm, I'm not, I don't really see the use case for, for blockchain within, within sports betting. So you, you mentioned uh, European softbooks and you talked a little bit about Asia. What, tell me what year of experience in terms of the differences, some of the benefits and for those that might bet uh, in one place or only locally or have you know limited uh, understanding of how the differences apply tell us from your perspective what the the european versus asian markets offer you could say that the Euro european bookies they are a lot easier to beat than the asian bookmakers because the odds on the asian bookmakers is a lot sharper and uh, so they are just playing better at setting their odds and that means that there is less inefficiencies in in the odds um, so European bookies and yeah, pretty much all the soft bookies uh, around the world. Uh, I say those two things pretty like they they mean the same stuff in my head. Uh, but I guess now that more bookies are opening up in the U.S., uh, just referring to them as European bookmakers uh, is not uh, is not the correct term anymore. But yeah, I'll, I'll call them soft bookies. Um, also, you can get a lot higher stakes in Asia. So if you are serious about the betting, then you can get so much more turnover in there. And um, they don't limit players who win. And now there are a couple of Asian bookmakers who look like they are taking some steps towards the European model. Um, but uh, there's still like other bookmakers which one can use, which are still yeah, following the old ways and accepting all players giving a lot higher stakes. And then um, I guess the last thing would be that you can see that the price changes a lot faster in, uh, in the Asian markets than what they do in the European markets. And for you as a player, like 
uh, I think the the best tips that I could give to like any punter who just wants to do a little bit better is to always look for the best odds, and you can always almost always find the best odds in uh, the Asian markets uh, with the Asian bookies, and that is because yeah they're following a bit of a different book, uh, a different business model from the European bookmakers because they mainly care about how much turnover. And they are able to get uh, through their system and then they take like a, a lower cut of the money that flows through them. So they have like a lower margin than what the uh, European bookmakers do. So on average, like roughly, you could say the European bookmakers take a 5% margin on each uh, on each bet, while the uh, Asian bookmakers take like 2%. So that's a, that's a pretty big difference. And that uh, also shows itself in the odds that you're able to get. Do you think you know, we t- you talked about the the Norse tipping example earlier, where there might be a price out there for fifteen or twenty minutes that exists, uh, and as time has passed, it might be more like three minutes or five minutes or two minutes or whatever it is. As we get closer to to zero seconds with those prices existing and it almost being you know zero latency around the world with the bookmakers in the future, obviously there's one person who'll get the price, and that'll sort of signal to a bookmaker or a number of bookmakers that. They have, you know, injury information or other information that the line should move. Do you think there will always still be a place, much like I'm guessing in financial trading, where they talk about, you know, milliseconds or microseconds or, or whatever they do? Do you think sports betting will continue to have the ability to do this type of thing, even when we get down to bookmakers moving their prices within 15 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds of some of these big market moves? I think if it's still like five, 10 seconds, then it will still be possible. But then you most likely have to look into automation. Um, but as long as this is, is like above milliseconds, then I think it's, uh, it's very much possible to, uh, to get them beat. Um, but once we're starting to talk milliseconds, then it's time to get a lot trickier and you're going to need like a lot more resources to be able to, to pull it off on a big scale at least. So then, then it's up to like the big betting syndicates like the star lizards and smart arts of, of this world. So what direction do you think TradeMate will be going? I, I get a sense from your background in entrepreneurship and in some of the discussions that I've heard you have on other podcasts or even just talking to you now, uh, things will evolve and you'll probably evolve with it and there might be spinoffs and other businesses or, or changes. Or do you think TradeMate will continue on in a similar vein as it is today into the future? Yeah, so we just launched a, uh, our team just launched a new product right before Christmas, uh, which is called OddZero. So that's a match betting software. Um, so the goal is there is to sort of reach out to a bit more of a wider customer group because match betting is, is risk free to get started doing. You can still use it to exploit the sign up bonuses and make between uh, three to five K doing it. Uh, in the US now, I'm sure it will be a, a great market because I've seen they've been uh, throwing out some insane sign-up bonuses to people like up to $500. Um, so then match betting is just a perfect technique of making money from those uh, bonuses. Uh, so that's sort of yeah the new product that we launched and at least what is going to be our focus uh, this year. And and I guess after that, we'll see. Uh, we very much enjoy uh, working with this since it's like the, the combination between sports, statistics, and making money, uh, which I... I like all three of those things. So, yeah. 
So tell me about your users, especially on staking, because staking is one interesting thing that there's not always a consensus uh, around the betting world on what's perfect. Do you see your clients and users use all types of different staking methods or is it more convergent around something like Quarter Kelly or, or Flat or other things? Yeah, so we always recommend using the Kelly criterion with TradeMate and we use a fractional Kelly. So we use like 30% is what we've recommended. And yeah, you should never go full Kelly because that is just crazy variance and uh, you'll end up... Uh, you'll end up hitting some variants at some point when you're doing sports betting and, and getting in a lot of bets. So that's something that you don't want to do. Um, overall, I would say that if you are able to quantify your edge and sort of have an EV calculation of your edge, then you should be using the Kelly criteria. But if you're not able to quantify your edge, then I think you would be better off with flat stake sizing. And those are sort of the, the only two approaches that I really consider to be worthwhile. Like uh, everything else is uh, seems crazy to me, and yeah, seeing people writing about Martingale and stuff is just nuts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And do you, especially for your users, do you think that they are or they need to fully understand Kelly and, and read about it for hours and hours, and they need to fully understand the best way to quantify their edge and understand the mathematics behind things or the statistics involved in things to be able to be successful? Because I. I get the sense a lot of the, the software eliminates the need for that and, and people can almost use different uh, tools on websites and not actually fully understand behind um, the website what's actually happening happening that makes this possible and I guess the foundational understanding of, of these things. Do you think that's critical or do you think now we're in a, a space where you can solve most of those problems behind the scenes for the users and they can have a pretty simple, easy user experience and, and potentially win at, at betting? Yeah, so at least for TradeMate, we at least for TradeMate, we solve all those problems behind the scenes. But the important part when it comes to understanding why it works is to make you stick with it in the long run. Because especially value betting and what TradeMate is doing is a long run thing. You need to get to a very large sample size of bets in order for the variance to even out. Like if you're just betting like a hundred bets, then anything can happen. Uh, you can uh, you can win it all or you can lose it all. Like probably not in a row, but uh, but randomness plays such a tremendously big impact on on your results. While if you're getting to five hundred thousand, two thousand, ten thousand trades, like if you're able to get to ten thousand trades, you can be pretty pretty sure that you are going to be able to make a profit. Uh, so we wrote an article about that where we looked into our user results based on the uh, number of trades and the um, I think if you went to around 2,000 trades then 75% of our customers were profitable and uh, so I find it kind of funny because we sort of have a usually hear about survivorship bias and it's uh, it's the tipsters who just got really lucky and uh, they're not going to keep on being lucky, but someone is bound to be lucky. If you have like uh, 10,000 tipsters making 10,000 predictions, then a couple of them will, just by randomness, perform extremely well. Uh, while in our case, it's the people who, who keep doing it, um, They as, as the trades increase, the profitability increases. But we also get a big drop-off because we have quite an expensive service. And if you have some bad luck in the beginning, 
people are not going to want to keep paying us 120 euros a month, uh, which I totally get. But if they had just stuck to the process and kept getting the bets in, then the good and the bad luck would have evened out and they would have made money in the long run. And there's just uh, too many people, I feel, who, who give up too early. And I think that's because they didn't really understand the fundamentals. Um, because if you do understand like the concepts of expected value and you can look at the numbers which show that the, uh, the ROI pretty much perfectly matches like the EV over the long run when we have like 2 million bets that our users have placed, uh, then it should be pretty clear that, that things are working. Uh, at least that's what I think. But uh, in the end, like people have to try it themselves and then uh, seeing their own results. Have you figured out what the best type of education is for the bettors? Is it to, to take them through the process elements so they understand it? Is it talking about different biases that exist that might impact on that process and cause leakage or other problems related to things that can go wrong? Or do you just mix it up or do you listen to your users and, and respond to what they want to hear about? Because there's, there's many different ways, I guess, to approach it. And it's hard to know what's best sometimes. So I, I think one of the reasons which I really liked about getting started, like why I joined TradeMate, was that I was already a customer of the product um, before I started uh, started working here. And I think that is pretty good because then you've sort of, you've used the product, you've seen which pain points you have, you've seen what you found difficult and what made you uncertain. And then you can sort of address those things in videos and articles. So we've focused a lot on creating content to educate our users. And it's on everything from explaining the basic statistic stuff like the expected value variance, how you can reduce variance, uh, the Kelly criterion and uh, the law of large numbers. Um, so we, we try to cover as much as possible. Um, but yeah, if people have things that they are still uncertain about, they can always write us and uh, we'll write articles about that too. And um, the thing you mentioned about bias is that that is an interesting one because um, it's not something that we've written too much about so far. Uh, but it, yeah, it would be pretty pretty cool to uh, to write a couple of articles about that too. So more of a general question: Any lessons that you've learned more recently, or I guess now that we're in early 2020, maybe from 2019, some things that you picked up along the way that you might be trying to implement in 2020, either specific to TradeMate or even just generally around some principles or process-related stuff? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, like right now, I'm, I'm reading a book called Flow um, by a guy whose name is so difficult I can't pronounce it, um, but it's like Mihail something. Uh, so I think he was, a, I'm not sure which country, some European country, and then he moved to the US and ended up being like a psychology professor in Chicago or something. Um, but it, it is basically about how you can sort of enter a state of flow. That's sort of the, when you're working or doing sports or whatever, something that you're enjoying so much that you just lose track of time and, uh, and you're just super involved. You stop thinking about what you are doing and rather just doing, doing it. Um, so that's sort of, uh, something that I've looked into my own work and trying to figure out, like, how can I achieve this, uh, this sort of state more often when I'm working, um, in order to be more productive, like overall. So that's sort of what I'm focusing on right now, at least. And then it'll be interesting to see how that goes. 
And I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of questions from your users um, asking for advice, asking for help in betting, and obviously they might use a service, but any things that stand out that you tell a lot of people that are, especially new people, into betting and when they are trying to figure out most, most important things to learn and, and things like that, do you tell them to read specific books or listen to certain podcasts or watch certain videos or go and look into different uh, literature outside of betting or, or what's some of the advice that you give to those people? I think the most important advice is sort of to yeah, be, be critical of everything you read. Ask yourself, does this make sense? Because there is just so much stuff out there, especially the, the things that the regular bookmakers and stuff put out, which is just not very useful at all. There are some exceptions, like Pinnacle has a great blog, for example. Um, but in general, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So just have a, a critical sense and really think about whether what you're reading makes sense uh, to you. I, I think that's sort of one of the most important factors. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we try to have the best blog in the world about betting uh, to, uh, to help our users understand how things work. And yeah, so that's sort of, uh, I always recommend our users to, to check out our own blog and, uh, and start out with that. Um, in terms of books, I've, um, I've read a bit of, uh, of Joseph Bushdahl's books. I, I think those are, they're interesting, um, especially the stuff where he shows like why tips just don't work. Uh, but overall, I like to focus on things which are actionable. And that is another thing that, um, that I also find a bit weird because people are perfectly happy to uh, buy books in order to, where they're basically hoping that if they read a book, it will increase their knowledge and then they will able to translate that knowledge into money while instead you could buy a software uh, such as TradeMate. It doesn't have to be TradeMate. It can be within arbitrage betting, value betting, match betting, plenty of softwares out there um, which actually help you make money and then all the stuff that you actually have to do is just place the bets and they tell you exactly how to do it like we do and that's all of what you have to do um, and I, I, I would start by doing that and then maybe invest some of those profits into buying the books after, because yeah, at least at our um, at, at TradeMate we uh, give you the knowledge for free. That's the books, uh, the eBooks and videos and stuff that we make, and then you pay for the software, which is what is actually like bringing you uh, bringing you value. So one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about was, and you talked about your own blog and the Pinnacle blog, and uh, on the my podcast website there's an article around the the conflict when it comes to betting content how do you see that space especially as it relates to you know obviously those who are entrenched in the industry can probably write about sports betting and the principles and philosophies a bit better than the general media and and sports hosts on television who are talking about teams and players do you ever encounter you know a clash when it comes to those type of things or how do you think about this topic more generally yeah, so I think the bookies are actually missing out on like a pretty big opportunity um, because at least if, if more of them did like Pinnacle and focused actually like making some good content that is useful, um, then I think that would get people to, to bet a lot more and then and they could still like have their margin and just have a higher turnover and still make uh, still make very good money. 
I also think that it is more sustainable in the long run. Um, I mean, the stock market is extremely tough to beat, at least like outperforming the market. I mean, best option is probably to put the money in an index fund and then uh, not paying too much fees uh, for having it managed. Uh, but yeah, that's another uh, another conversation. <laughs> um, but I, I think that it would have been a lot better if they focused on actually yeah educating uh, the users instead of just trying to to extract as much money as possible from them in the shortest amount of time um, because uh, like in the in the long run like over a lifetime if people are enjoying it and and uh, sort of have an actual fair chance of winning then I think they would bet more at least uh, the bit more serious people who uh, who could then be uh, be better like influencers and stuff for uh, for the industry in general like there's so many other industries where there's um, this um, huge influencers who you're able to see them doing like trading or whatever uh, but in betting it's still uh, still not that common uh, there's a couple of channels out there um, but uh, but yeah if um, if they sort of enabled winners to to stay uh, I think it would increase the, the overall quality you know it does make sense though and i think the the one of the biggest problem from the sustainability element is that a couple of enormous bookmakers have done so well going down the uh the different approach of you know taking on only losing players let's say or at least the vast majority who they think might be and having still decent margins baked in because i think for most people i talk to anyway when you say look is it better to have maybe a good margin or a lower margin product that someone will enjoy betting into they'll if they are going to lose they'll lose their money slower over a long period of time they'll be more engaged more active more involved and ultimately will probably spend more money because if they bleed these people you know dry after a couple of weeks or months then they're less likely to go back as opposed to if it's over months and years then it's a more sustainable engaging product but unfortunately sometimes it doesn't ultimately end up that way. And, and given that some businesses are very successful uh, with higher margins, certainly in, in not top-tier sports, and and they have that approach of, of not necessarily taking on the winners, then it doesn't always make it a, a very simple, easy marketplace to enter and stay within. And then that becomes a a lot of the waste in the industry, especially on the professional better side and then the bookmaker side, is, is how to deal with professionals and those who are smart and trying to block them and stop them and then the professional bettors are smart people so they'll try and find ways around that and then there's administrative costs and so on and so forth it just becomes a a lot of waste uh, from my perspective and in my mind when i think about it as well yeah i mean the the fundamental problem is that their odds is inefficient a lot of the time and they could have invested money into fixing that instead of having all these departments who try to kick out the, the winning players um, so I just find it very weird. It would have been a lot cheaper to acquire our company or something like that to fix it for them, and then, uh, then keeping all of those people who who work with limiting players. I, I I saw like a job ad the other day from I think it was William Hill, where he specifically said like your job is to identify like the unprofitable players. Uh, so it's just uh, it's just crazy. Uh, also the um, also, sort of the reason why I, I mentioned that, that article to you and why I found it interesting is that because you mentioned uh, EV and that it's often like difficult to to say like what is plus EV and and what is not, and 
the benchmark that, because you can use pretty much, regardless of which strategy you want to use in order to win at betting, uh, the way I would at least measure EV is whether or not you're able to beat the pinnacle closing line. I think that's uh, that's pretty like widely considered among professional sports better as being a very good indicator of whether what you're doing is profitable or not. Um, so that's also like what we do inside of our software in terms of measuring whether something is plus EV or minus EV is comparing it to uh, to the pinnacle odds at the time the game starts. Um, so doing that is is something that I would recommend to people who are. Uh, who are serious about like making money from sports betting and that is something that would then enable you to quantify your edge and then you can use the Kelly criterion for, for the stake sizing. So yeah, that's an advice for the guys who want to go pro. Well, I, one thing, I don't think it exists or I don't know that it exists. It would be cool to be able to have, you know, sports media pundits or even professional bettors or whoever wants to be involved to, to have some system where all the predictions are put into a system and then assessed against pinnacle closing line and just see uh, if these people are as good as they think they are, as good as they say they are, or as good as they may or made out to be, or at least to have some transparency over how good certain people are at doing things, not over one year or one season or even two seasons, but, you know, for decades and decades to basically have a, a betting score associated to your name, whether or not you're good or bad or in the middle or you know, hopefully most people, or it's likely most people would probably fall around the, the 50% mark, but um, it would be fascinating to see something like that. And, and if it was able to be widely applied across all different sports and, and personalities and media and betting, it would be a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that. And I think a lot of the, a lot of like the commentators and the so-called experts would be pretty shocked uh, to see just how unprofitable stuff they are putting out there is. And I think Tetlock has done some stuff around that. Um, you know, obviously he does all the prediction stuff, and he's got a lot of good books about it. But I don't think I've seen anything specific to betting, or at least specific to calculating those types of things in a more systematic way. But maybe for another time. One final question for you: Twenty twenty is here. Do you have any plans for trade? Made any predictions for the industry? Any uh, any things you want to share that might be coming down the line, either just generally in the industry or some observations of what you expect to, to come? Well, I mean, right now we're at TradeMate, we're pretty much like we focus on on uh, just getting more users in and then uh, getting our, our new product uh, launched up and sort of build that, uh, that customer base there. And I think match betting is a very good way for people to at least get into profitable betting without needing to take a lot of risk. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I assume you're familiar with it, but for some of the listeners, uh, you, with match betting, you essentially you have a, a bonus at one of the bookmakers, and then you uh, you place two bets at the same game on like the two different outcomes um, at two different bookmakers, ensuring that. You don't win any money, you don't lose any money on that particular bet, but you get one step closer to sort of meeting the requirements for cashing out that sign-up bonus. So it's a great way to get into betting in what's in theory like a completely risk-free method. Uh, obviously, there are some like practical pitfalls, like if you pick the wrong team, if you pick uh, Barcelona reserves instead of Barcelona A team and bet on that, then uh, then you could end up. <laughs> Um, but uh, but yeah, if you just uh, are structured and uh, have good attention to detail, then it's uh, it's very straightforward to do, really. 
And um, in terms of the industry in general, I mean, it seems like things are moving a lot more towards regulation. Um, like in Europe, like country after country are starting to get regulated. And I find it very conservative that Norway is not uh, moving in that direction too. Um, because there's currently like, as I, as I mentioned, like my friends who do a bit of betting, they're all using the, the foreign bookmakers anyway. So that's like money which could have been taxed just going outside of the country. And it would have been a lot better to be able to tax those revenues and then make them at least contribute to society. And, uh, and yeah, but apparently like the politicians uh, in this country are not willing to do so. So, um, Hopefully they will change the mind eventually. And then for the industry as a whole, I would very much like to see the authorities uh, not just uh, trying to protect the, the losing players, which I totally understand you need to, to help the, the people who have uh, gambling issues and everything. But it would also be nice if they uh, put in some terms and conditions in those laws to help the winning players, uh, such as a minimum bet law or... Um, forcing the bookmakers to treat all customers equally. I think that would be a great step in, uh, in the right direction to sort of make betting as a whole uh, a bit less of a yeah, sketchy industry. Well, I, I want to thank you for your time. It's much appreciated. It's great talking about something interesting and, and somewhat unique with, with Norway and, and what you're doing at TradeMate. So thanks again for your time and keep innovating, keep being an entrepreneur. We sure need as many of those in the betting world as we can get. So uh yeah good luck with everything in 2020 and hopefully we can do this again sometime yeah it was a pleasure being here jake so take care